Burn the box, a portal to the world of hidden truths and untapped power. A sanctuary where together we unmask the oppression hidden in the shadows far too long. Unscripted, unplanned, unrehearsed. Stay tuned for powerful conversations, thought-provoking insights as we ignite the sacred rebellion of the global majority. Let's begin this incredible journey together. Welcome to Burn the Box. Your host, Dr. Sonali Deepika. Welcome to this edition of Burn the Box. And today I'm here with my friend, colleague, and someone who has become like a brother to me on this path over the last about three years. Tony Chavira. <laughs> thank you, Tony. Yeah, thank you. Um, and for people listening, this uh, is going to be the first of Sonali's many episodes uh, <laughs> as an introduction to this podcast. And so talk to me a second, Sonali. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're doing this uh, retroactively. Right? Yes, we uh, are. You've done all of them. So yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I've recorded 10 episodes, so you and I um, will be bookending this series, this first episode, and then we recorded episode 10 together. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful because otherwise I wasn't sure how I was going to start it. I wanted to give a little intro because, because of the nature of this podcast and... I'm very grateful that you offered to to be in it with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. I mean, um, I know a bit of this development um, mm -hmm. because I've seen you do it over long periods of time. So I'm going to ask you about mm -hmm. uh, kind of different eras that led to you being the kind of healer, coach, abolitionist, mm -hmm. anti-racist trainer uh, that you are. Um, mm -hmm. But I mean, this is uh, the first... I guess everyone else's first episode of Burn the Box. Yeah. <laughs> um, what is, uh, maybe it's worth um, me asking, wh what does Burn the Box mean uh, to you? Mm. And, and maybe also if you can give me some, and everyone some details about your journey leading to Burn the Box, like to mm -hmm. developing it. Thank you. Oh, gosh, now I have to think of where to start. I will say that, like, as I hear you mention abolitionist and anti-racist, this stepping into that, this kind of work um, of anti-racism, of somatic abolitionism is definitely more recent for me. And I would almost say in the last, you know, five years or so. Prior to that, I spent almost 20 years with medical education, training, and then practice all in Chicago, did medical school in Chicago, um, decided to specialize in psychiatry and then in the field of child and adolescent psychiatry, which was influenced by a traumatic loss I had um, two years into medical school when my younger brother mm. took his life. I did not go into medical school thinking I was going to do psychiatry. I really mm. thought I was going to be a pediatrician as my father had been, not that he was pushing me to do any of that, but it just, 
I felt called, like I wanted to work with youth. There was definitely mm-hmm. that calling. So after this loss, and as the years went, I decided, well, I'm going to work with youth, but I'm going to work with youth in a different in a different way. And I'm going to focus on emotional and behavioral development, mm-hmm. suffering. I I had, I think, a very somewhat idealistic thought about, you know, I'm going to do this so I can help. Because having gone through that loss and still, I mean, whatever, 23 years later, it still affects me, of course. But having gone through that, I'm like, oh, what can we do to prevent this type of tragedy in youth and Mm. in families? Mm -hmm. It was good. It was good for Mm. a while. And it felt very fulfilling for a while Mm. until I realized how burnt out I was really with that that kind Mm -hmm. of work. And that has a lot to do with just some of my ways of moving through life of not being able to set the best boundaries and like emotionally. Mm. And so taking a lot, taking on a lot, like every Mm. person I saw, every family, and this definitely contributed to burnout. In addition to somewhere maybe like 10 years ago, 11 years ago, Mm. when I started getting introduced to like holistic healing and mm-hmm. that started with Ayurveda, this mm-hmm. indigenous, this 5,000 year old indigenous healing tradition from India and Sri Lanka. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of other things. So I was like kind of on this path of, I, I was feeling the limitations of Western, the mm-hmm. Western approach, you know, mm-hmm. the Western approach to like the, the acute stages of things and not yeah. really dealing with prevention and thriving and all that yeah if you don't mind me asking yeah just to like expand on it you said <laughs> yeah. you were fe- you're feeling the impacts of mm-hmm. uh, systemic really western and mm-hmm. white in that way right mm-hmm. um, model of medicine you yeah. know when you say feeling um could you expand on what you mean by like you're feeling the impacts feeling them in what way thank you that's a good question what i was doing and what i had been trained to do when i was doing I was doing the work that I'd been trained to do. But mm-hmm. what that work was, was really um, very much like band-aids on mm-hmm. a much, much bigger problems, mm-hmm. you know, that were there. And I didn't have, as you were asking me about, I didn't have the awareness that mm-hmm. I do now of this like systemic, the mm-hmm. systemic whiteness and mm-hmm. the the many layers that mm-hmm. we're holding in our bodies of this kind of oppression. Mm-hmm. I didn't even, yeah, I couldn't have articulated that aspect back mm-hmm. then, but I did realize what I was doing wasn't really helping people in the way that I would have liked to, you mm-hmm. know, and I was experiencing that myself um, mm-hmm. too, in, in certain ways with having my own history of, you know, depression, anxiety, and all these things, mm-hmm. being in that same system and not faulting anyone. It's just, I knew that this this wasn't getting at like what Ayurveda talked about with or talks about with health. Like what is mm-hmm. health? What is that about? And according to Ayurveda, and I think many indigenous healing traditions, it's like vitality. Mm-hmm. It's like, how much energy do you have? How much zest for life do you have? Mm. it's like that and then what i was trained to do and what i was doing was like oh health is the absence of a whole list of symptoms 
Mm-hmm. Do you, do you have these symptoms? Oh, if not, you're, you're healthy. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you check that box and it's like, this isn't, I, I just found it lacking. You know? Yeah. What was it like for you to lean? I mean, first have the sort of awakening awareness of being really like systemically oppressed on one side, but also um, coming into the tools, toys that are like cultural, you know, leaning into your culture like feeling it's like power is a light word. As I want to say like he feeling um, sort of revolutionary quality of, of it emerging more richly in your healing process. Yeah, I was, I learned about Ayurveda from a white woman who was a yoga teacher and Ayurveda practitioner in mm-hmm. Chicago. And I remember sitting there listening and learning and realizing, oh my gosh, this is so different than what I had been trained in the mm. way of healing mm. in Western medicine, you know, that I'd been trained in. And it was something that I needed for, for myself. Like I needed mm. it in my own life mm. to recognize where I was lacking that like vitality and mm. that, you know, joy for life, that energy, you know, mm-hmm. and um, I don't even know if this is answering your question, but this is what's coming to me that then I started, like I started on a path that was actually, as is the case for a lot of what I do, it was for me first, you know, it was like, okay, I need to learn, I need to understand this better. And I did different programs, you know, in the US, but it was definitely was tapping into a whole different way of viewing of viewing health, of viewing healing, of viewing mm. vitality, of mm. viewing what does it mean to like get up in the morning and have that energy to do the things that are important to us, that matter to us, that that we feel like passionate about. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. And really, I know knowing you like really leaning into your felt experience, right? Yeah. Leaning into how it, how it feels day to day in it. And without giving too much of your story away, because I want to hear about it, right? I have everyone here. Like it felt so, like such a dramatic rift, right? After a period of time, the person that, that you were turning into versus the one you wanted to let go of that you moved right out of the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, would you tell me a little more? Again, like my questions are more elicitations. You're not answering, obviously, than right or wrong. It's like at, literally everything you say is going to be right. So, um, you know, if you, but if you feel like, you know, or maybe, or maybe what comes up for you as I ask about your move from yeah. uh, the United States to Mexico. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate this because it's much better than me trying to just talk about this as I had thought I was going to do. <laughs> yeah, I was at a point, you know, like these crossroads in life that we can reach and something was going to have to shift. I was going to have to leave my job. Was I going to go into integrative psychiatry? Was going to do something perhaps that brought in a lot of different aspects of healing and also with psychiatry. Um, and it was right about then that I got an invitation from uh, my mother's friend whose family owns these Ayurvedic resorts in Sri Lanka. And mm. she said, you know, come, come and explore your roots, come and take the time you didn't take in your you know, all these years of education and all that. And it was like an immediate yes. Although if I'm honest about it, I got the email and I started reading it and I I was on my phone, just what I normally am on. And I, I just put it down. I'm like, mm-hmm. I just knew that my whole life was going to change. 
So I mm. couldn't even read it the first time because it was like, it was like, oh my gosh, this is a yes. This invitation is a yes. And um, yeah. I, yeah, so that's what I, I, so it took some time, but I left my job and then left, you know, most of the stuff I had in the U.S. Um, I had lived in a condo for 14 years, I think. It was just, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm going. I'm not sure what's going to happen. Yeah. So that was important mm-hmm. in my path. What was it like for you? If you'd be a little, I'd love to hear a little more of sort of all the senses and meaning just a lot of what's coming up around. You can remember it. Um, just that moment, uh, you know, right there, you got that email. It's like, okay, my life is about to change. And, yeah. you know, again, for people listening, it was a complete shift. It was uh, really a total life renovation, revolution. Yeah, what was yeah. the experience like for you? What was happening in that mm. moment? In that moment, there was some kind of charge in my body. Like, mm. this is huge. This is, mm. your life is completely going to change. And it was that, you know, that combination of excitement and also nervousness and fear mm. that comes when we're like making a big step, but we don't really know what what's coming and when i look back i realize that all of that happened once i got connected to this indigenous healing tradition of my Mm -hmm. own lineage Mm -hmm. one that had been very much suppressed repressed nearly abolished you know with Mm -hmm. three different phases of colonization in that country Mm -hmm. notably the british the British who brought like this Western, this is medicine, Western medicine. I don't know what, mm-hmm. what you all are doing here, but, um, mm-hmm. luckily there, you know, the tradition had continued, although that's a whole other story because it, I do think it was very much affected by the colonization, like mm-hmm. how it's practiced. This is what I found when mm-hmm. I went and it was a resort. It has a gorgeous mm-hmm. resort, gorgeous mm-hmm. resort and have to add here that. The resort that I ended up staying at when I was, oh my gosh, not to think about it, but like 42 when I mm-hmm. went, that resort is where my parents spent one night of their honeymoon. When it mm-hmm. wasn't an Ayurvedic resort, it was just a hotel. It was an mm-hmm. old hotel. I mean, it's an older hotel. So there was something on so many levels of like going back to roots and going back to like, oh, it's where my parents were before I was oh, a god. Yeah. You know, and like yeah, yeah, all of that. Um, but also finding out that oh yeah, this it's beautiful. People come, they love it. You know, you're getting fed amazing food. You're getting these really incredible body treatments. But it, but for what where I was coming from, it wasn't offering me like this holistic approach. Mm. So I definitely had that. Like it was a full charge of mm. oh my gosh something is really going to change now, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. That's interesting. Like images I have in my head are, are quite historical the way you're describing it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, your parents having been here previously and then you returning, mm-hmm. but also like the rift between the way that we're taught to put Western medicine on a plateau or, yeah. like, or I don't know, like a hierarchy, like a higher level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the sort of violent of mm-hmm. doing that to people who, like your own your own indigenous tradition that that's like tremendously healing and then feeling i guess the rift of those two like grinding mm-hmm. probably for so yeah, long yeah, against yeah. one another 
in the midst of that grind, like selecting, feeling like following that, the pull, um, mm -hmm. like that sort of it's somatic with spiritual realignment mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. sort of re-indigenization is what I'm hearing mm -hmm. um, in that process. And so you do this retreat, um, you're already a psychiatrist, you're like really expanding what it means to heal, but also shifting away from what it did, what wasn't here. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And maybe I'll ask here, because I'm hearing the word that keeps coming up for me inside is grounding, mm -hmm. regrounding. And maybe mm -hmm. I'll ask about uh, your company uh, conception. You know, the Sacred Ground is an LLC uh, Sonali uh, began. If you want to talk about how that came into mm -hmm. reality for you. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. To talk about that, I have to give a little bit of like from that point of being in Sri Lanka and then realizing that something you brought in, you mentioned spiritual. And I do think Ayurveda is deeply spiritual. I think it's profoundly holistic and vast and my mm -hmm. experience there and having an awareness at that time like of the colonization of the three times colonized little island that I was on I just experienced for me that there just wasn't as much of the spiritual brought into this little experience that I had and so I was still searching so I left the resort mm -hmm. eventually um, eventually I got connected to a teacher who was based in LA who had a program called Sex, Love, and Relationship Coaching. She had some programs. I did like an online program. And it's when I eventually decided to pursue that and to explore this aspect that had been very repressed and suppressed in me. I mean, namely sensuality and sexuality hmm. that I realized in doing the program. So like three-fourths of the way through the program like to build, to start this business. So the business, um, I Am Sacred Ground, the name of that was something I got from a friend who I had met on a retreat I had done. And that retreat was, she had a, a spiritual component to it. And we had to come up with a like a mantra. I still remember my mantra was, I am love lit up. Like it was this, mm -hmm. this is what I, her mantra was, I am sacred ground. Mm -hmm. I loved it then. That was in 2016. And so then mm -hmm. these two years go by and now I'm starting this business. I couldn't get that out of my head. And so mm -hmm. I reached out to her and, um, and asked if I could use this for my business. And she was so generous in saying, mm -hmm. I think that came through for you, you know, mm -hmm. like that. It was really, it really mm -hmm. touched me. And so that's where I am sacred ground came. And it was about connecting to our bodies and to the sacredness of our bodies and to really know our worthiness, our deservingness, to love ourselves, to know that we are whole. Mm. That's where that mm. Yeah, loving our bodies. Mm -hmm. Tell me more about that if you're open to it. I know that, that there's so much more significance when you say that, loving our body. Mm -hmm. If you're open to it. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, I think that I'll say that early on with the business and when I was leaning into it and exploring for myself, the mantras that came are, I'm whole, I am loved, I am worthy, I am deserving, I am sacred ground. And when I say that, 
these are very much mantras that I have needed and continue to. The process of loving my own body has been a lifelong uh, journey for sure. I can say that I hope a lot of self-hatred, hatred in general for my own body. I remember years ago, by this time, I think I was maybe practicing already psychiatry, but I was going for therapy for myself. And my therapist recommended a mindful eating group that was in Mm. Chicago. And it was like eight weeks, 10 weeks, something like that. With a couple that were both therapists that were leading it. And I still remember them doing this mindful, it was like a mindful exercise for the body. And they were just Mm. like, guiding it and going through the body and kind of bringing an awareness to our relationship to mm. our whole body. And I still remember it was like my arms, you know, it was my hands were on my arm, like we were kind of moving through our bodies, like my hands were on my arms and the guidance was, you know, bringing love to like, mm. you know, all the parts of our body and to our arms. And right away inside was like, I don't love my arms. Mm. How is this person telling me I'm supposed to love my arms? Like I hate my arms. It had been like, it had been now, it sounds even crazy, but it had been something so ingrained of like, you know, so conditioned to this hatred to different parts of my body. And that's just physical. Mm -hmm. But as I learned for myself going through this training program in order to be a coach, Mm -hmm. the foundation is really the self-love. Like, And how do we bring that to our bodies? How do we recognize whatever the messages are that we're holding that many Mm -hmm. times they're not ours Mm there's things that have been told to us you know like there's so much conditioning involved and that goes on so many different levels that is a big piece of this work is Mm -hmm. to cultivate self-love and in doing that we bring love and compassion to all these messages to parts within us that that mm-hmm. are not holding that message, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you're saying that too, I touched my arm. I felt like the sort of receptiveness. Ugh, my poor arms. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know, um, I've known you a while and seen different types of connection to body things. Um, you mentioned a moment ago, you know, that the charges for disliking your body came from pardon me, came from so many places. Um, and if you're open to talking a little about uh, how, because I mean, I'm, I'm asking, all right, because I know you, but how that led to some of, uh, not some of, to your commitment to somatic abolitionism. I'd love to hear it personally, <laughs> but yeah. I know uh, that's also yeah. or where you're going to guide um, some of the podcast. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that when we get into this connection to our bodies mm-hmm. and bring an awareness to what we're holding in our bodies, that's where for me it got, it opened up so much because before that it was more, I think, just like what was in my family, just because that's, you know, we grew up with. And um, for me, it was like, okay, I, I have these messages that I'm holding. The deeper, I got in this process, the more I realized, oh, I'm holding, I'm holding messages that go far beyond 
just my immediate family. It's like, mm. what have I been told having been, you know, born in the UK, raised in the US, like, and never really been like always like in the minority kind of, you know, thing wherever mm. I was. What am I holding of that? What am I holding that's much larger, that mm. goes much broader than just mm-hmm. like my little family experience? And I even had the experience because I did live in Sri Lanka for a year Mm. where I had these ideas of, oh, here I will belong. Here I'll be whatever. I can tell you that, yes, there were some beautiful things about meeting family and just being in the culture and and being on that land for sure. But it's also like there I was aware of, oh, yeah, this three times colonized country and Mm. what the people are holding about that. Like why, and this is all over the world, but why are these pharmacies filled with skin lightening and whitening products? Mm. Why Mm. are there, you know, like it was just this, it opened up much bigger because it's like, why have I been conditioned to feel like I'm not enough? Mm -hmm. To feel Mm -hmm. like me and my body is not adequate. Mm-hmm. And as we have learned from somatic evolution, to feel that I am defective. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's the central message, right, of white supremacy. Right. Right. Like, right. Which is, you know, is something we've all in our program uh, or in our cohort, I guess, whom yeah. everyone is going to hear from across your podcast, yes. um, have, have come to process or learn to process, right, in different ways, including uh, the two of us our long uh, relationship with people who are listening. Sonali, I, and a third friend of ours who well, we'd love to bring uh, individually into a more public eye um, yes. but whenever she feels comfortable. But um, It's going to happen. Then, yeah, it will happen. <laughs> uh, we, uh, we've, been, we've been doing this. Uh, we, we were assigned to one another early on. And I mean, to process uh, the impacts white supremacy in ways that were uh, about exploring the vibe in the space between the three of us, mm-hmm. um, looking over images, uh, reviewing our thoughts, like, and noticing what the meaning was around these things mm-hmm. um, and our behaviors in response to that, um, exploring the affect and feelings, right? Mm-hmm. Sensations in the body, and then sort of imagining also possibilities from doing this process. Sonali, how was for you? How did a somatic abolitionist experience, I guess, of our cohort, how did it change you, really, maybe, is a, is a question that, mm-hmm. I, I, again, I'd love to hear. I'm sure everybody else, because yeah. I gained so much. I want to sort of yeah. preface, uh, everything Sonali says, I gained something from. Everyone uh, here needs to, to know that. I don't <laughs> hear like, oh, but no, it's absolutely true. Uh, even from this experience. Um, and so the more you speak, the more I need to listen. So I'd love to hear it. I want to add that, as you mentioned, you and I and our, our friend Somia, we have mm-hmm. met every week for, mm-hmm. it feels like it's been three years. It's not, I don't think technically, but it's been a long time. And we've met in two different countries, the three of us. Mm-hmm. And this really has felt like, yeah, like family. There's that that sense of our you know our chosen family. Mm-hmm. How did it affect me? Oh my gosh! I know that in some ways it was a little jarring and like 
you know, because we can be in this big group together with our teacher and and our co-facilitators and things are coming up. Like it was a space where it was holding charge. It was bringing forth charge that people were holding in their bodies. Um, and I know for myself, I said this to Resma, our teacher, that like it would be so much. I'd just be exhausted afterwards or sometimes it's like, I couldn't even stay present to it, mm. you know? So I say that because like, it wasn't something easy. I always look forward to it. I don't think I missed a, a single session because my life also has a lot of, lot more space than it used to <laughs> in the U S. Mm. Um, and so I was always there, but it's like, it was intense, you know, mm. sometimes more than others. Um, and then I was so grateful for you and Sonia that we could come into these, our little, just the three of us and, and process together, hold together, share, you know, but I do feel like there was something happening of an expansion to be able to hold charge of racial trauma, basically, and to look at it. What is that? What does it mean? What has it meant, you know, historically, like the things that we've learned through this, right? Historically, mm. intergenerationally, pervasively, mm-hmm. persistently, like what are these ways that we have all been in our own individually? We have our d- different experiences, but what are the ways that we've been shaped by white supremacy and by this? You know, I always appreciate how Reslin would talk about the vertical axis, like white supremacy, mm-hmm. and how, like, on this vertical, and then how all of us, as really the global majority, people of color and culture, as you would say, bodies of culture, black bodies mm-hmm. of bodies of culture, how we're kind of like pinned against each other, like we're kept mm-hmm. small, suppressed because of this axis mm-hmm. that is held. Mm-hmm. kind of universally around the globe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, by institutions too, right? By institutions. And I'm just conjuring what you said earlier about being in the Western medical field. And you said something also that was interesting uh, was like understanding suffering. And I wonder about like a link between just the suffering itself and having to somehow survive really in an institution mm-hmm organized completely around white supremacy and so you know i'm hearing then like your soul has like has to rip (laughs) you're like pull you know so far away from the power the domination the power Mm -hmm. and domination Mm -hmm. of of that experience that that training that way of thinking Mm -hmm. that way of living Mm -hmm. i've seen you Mm -hmm. i've seen you do each one of these kinds of polls in ways to, if you're open to just talking about where where you are right now uh, mm-hmm. with somatic abolition uh, abolitionism rather anti-racism mm-hmm. coaching and and also uh since we're talking about not doing these things in a white institutional way maybe mm-hmm. how you structured these podcasts <laughs> going forward uh, if you're open to it. i shared with you how individually <laughs> outside of this even like the description of the podcast shifted from when I started to where it is now. And mm-hmm. that naming of how this is like capturing a sacred rebellion of the mm-hmm. global 
majority as we embrace our collective power. Mm-hmm. That really feels strong for me. Mm-hmm. I my work shifted, as you know. At first, it was like I'm here for all women, and it's not like I'm not here for all women. I, I support any of this like expansion and you know knowing our our sacredness and embodying that for for all people but somatic abolitionism really shifted that for me it made it so clear that who i'm really here for are women femmes non-binary people of color and culture because i became so much more aware of that those extra layers of oppression, those extra layers of suppression and repression that we're holding in our bodies. And it's not to say everyone has the same experience, not at all, but that bringing in that context and helping people of this group who, who are affected by so many other aspects of oppression that I haven't been so aware of and that I certainly wasn't made aware of during medical training and all this it just became I just felt so passionate about this is who I want to serve Mm -hmm. you know and not really leaning into that really leaning into that Mm -hmm. calling again Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and I can't overstate how like aligning for other people Sonali's work is when you have really powerful waves of intuition you express, I think it, it sort of naturally pulls people, it's pulled me anyway, toward a self-explorative healing, wanting to heal more, wanting to ask more questions, wanting to explore mm-hmm. more. And that's been every experience I've ever had with you. I want to name something that might center me just for a quick second, if you're, if you're all right with that. Um, mm-hmm. But it may, to some people who are listening, and it's totally correct in a sense, um, but may seem as a bit white in the sense that some of my questions look a little directive for a scenario. Uh, and a big part of this is going to be about utilizing white-bodiedness to hold as much open space for Sonali, one, but two, really get her to show everyone listening, I think, that she is somebody you got to listen to. <laughs> somebody... <laughs> That when when I sit uh, with you, it's not only an expansive experience, it's one where I can feel things moving and shifting inside my physical body and stirring in a way that even if it feels at some time, feels sometimes like it's quaking or shaking mm-hmm. or, or moving, mm-hmm. uh, that same thing you mentioned, that foundation of, of love is really rich really present and i absolutely know it's part of every interview every well if not interview every conversation right mm-hmm. with everyone coming up so not to be too directive but can but i'll do it anyway um <laughs> is there any sense that you can give everyone listening of what they're going to what they're going to hear you know what what's coming up and maybe some of the things you found interesting without giving away the giving away the bag, <laughs> you know, <laughs> giving it all away. Oh, thank you, Tony. And as you said that, I realized, oh yeah, I didn't really answer. You kind of asked it before about what cool. was the podcast about. No, again, these, these and then are I go on my right? 
no, no, <laughs> you're, you're, no, you're, you're like, I'm hearing things <laughs> even for the first time uh, that are just like, wow, you know, they remind me. And they remind me of how important it is to hear what you have to say through your message. A big thing that came through our time in the somatic abolitionism course was we did two parts of it. So it got, it was bigger and then it got quite a bit smaller, like the, the final cohort that we were in. There was a big theme about emergence and it came up in the podcast with Resma about like tempering when we temper our nervous systems, what comes through, you know, what is allowed to come forth kind of thing. And so that was really what inspired me about reaching out to our group. It was like, here we have like anyone I've talked to in our group. I honestly could talk to for hours. Like it's just not a question. Um, so I knew that there would be interesting conversations because I just know that, but also that each one of us have done this deep work of tempering our nervous systems through that process that we were all in and this holding charge and being able to notice all of these levels, our sensations, our emotions, vibration, images, like all of this, what we hold in our bodies. Mm-hmm. And there's something unique that I felt about having conversations that were not scripted, that we really just come together and start with the question, which I pretty much asked everyone, you know, what's alive for you with burning boxes mm-hmm. in your life or in the world or whatever? It was very broad, but it always brought something forth that mm-hmm. the person was holding. And we like I said, it was not scripted. So I felt equally vulnerable, you know, before it was starting when we were about to record with any of the 10, 10 people I connected with, including with you, that it's like, okay, well, what's going to happen? You know, I, I have that I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, how is this going to go? But I just had mm-hmm. to let that be and trust that when two individuals like from our cohort who have done this work come together, we're each speaking and reflecting from our bodies and that i felt was really unique Mm, yeah Mm -hmm. i love that and so i'll probably just ask you that question right so (laughs) sally what's alive for you (laughs) around burning boxes for me it's feeling so passionate having gone through well i guess my life experiences in general but in addition to that like this having experience in the coaching world, having experience in a beautiful program, you know, that's changed names, but it used to be called sex, love and relationship coaching, and then working for that program. And what I see out there is a lack of resources out there for bodies of culture, for Black bodies, bodies of culture to do embodiment work processes that are really like trainings, whatever they are, that are really holding this unique experience and that have that awareness of all of this systemic oppression, really, that we're Mm -hmm. holding in addition to what all women, I guess, would be facing. And so I'm passionate about, it's like, I'm passionate about burning boxes in the healing world, in the coaching world, in and just the ways that things have always been done. Mm. Or I don't know if that's right, but yeah. I, <laughs> I feel like I feel very passionate, especially with people who are in 
healing traditions, coaches, doctors, social activism, like people who are out there trying to help others. And that role is so tiring. Um, it's so challenging because when you're in that role and, and when you have that awareness of all the suppression, like it's, it's so much extra work to Mm. put forth in order to support someone else, Mm. someone else's journey. So that makes me passionate also about supporting these individuals of whom Mm. I know many and of whom I I love being around Mm. because I'm just, I feel, you know, so much alliance in that, Mm -hmm. (laughs) in that in that path, you know, and in that endeavor. Mm. Mm, Absolutely. What sense you know, Sonali? But is there something you'd like to express that hasn't yet been expressed? I feel like very full, like I ate a delicious (laughs) meal (laughs) for Ah. a conversation, you know? I almost, I don't want to give give anything away. I don't want to give anything away about what's coming up. And I haven't heard them all either, so I'm, I'm very excited personally, to hear all of the people we care about, mm. uh, you know, have, have you hold space for them, but also for them to hear your own reflections, um, mm-hmm. what comes up for you, is what they elicit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I'm excited. I'm just excited. <laughs> I'm just excited. <laughs> and uh, a little, I feel impatience in my body personally, because I want to hear it. So I'm, I'm hoping that <laughs> everyone listening will jump immediately to episode two. Um, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. right. Oh, thank you, Tony. I, I'm excited too. I have a little bit of work to do before releasing things, but hopefully soon. And yeah, I think that it's something unique you know, mm. that we captured. And even if it's just like the people in our world that <laughs> that watch it, I'm I'm really excited about that, you know. Mm. And I'm grateful to you um, because mm. I think otherwise, I don't know. I mean, I'm so grateful that you were willing to do this with me mm. and to do this intro. I mean, after we had recorded your <laughs> the episode with you, Thank you for listening and being a part of the Burn the Box movement.